Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Here we go. Joe Milton at the Peyton Manning Passing Academy. Tennessee players tend to get that invite. What should be Joe Milton's focus this season? Georgia versus the field is becoming a real conversation. Maybe a little bit too early for that, but we will discuss. And then college football news has their AP poll top 25 preseason projection. Where did the Vols fall? And also, you know, a lot of SEC haters seemingly overrating the nine-game schedule versus the eight-game schedule. So let's discuss what college football is going to be. Is it going to be NFL-like where nine, ten wins will get you into the uh, postseason in this particular situation? That would be 80% of your games in the NFL. A lot of times 60% of winning your games get you in the postseason. So we'll discuss that. Is that what we really want? That would mean that that would mean weekend weekend challenges. So we'll get into that. Georgia versus the field again seems a little bit too earlier than me to me. And then Smoky Hot takes Tennessee's greatest performances in coaching versus great teams. How are you, Caleb Calhoun? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing this Monday morning? Got a little Never overcast better. here. What's that? Got a little overcast here. Yeah, uh, got quite a bit of rain, too. I always know when I have to turn on everything in my studio that it means we lost power for a few minutes, so we did that. Plus, the alarm didn't go off, so it's been one of those mornings. Welcome to the beginning of the week. He is Caleb Calhoun, and I'm Dave Hooker. We get it started right now with today's tough question, and it's brought to you by Andy Mason of AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Com. I'll tell you more today's tough question. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. 
Go to AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Save thousands or tens of thousands of dollars with Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. You'll love him. And today's tough question, Joe Milton at the Peyton Manning Passing Academy. So these invites go to the top quarterbacks in the NFL and college football. They also go to some former quarterbacks from the NFL and Tennessee generally is able to work a guy in there. So why a guy may be of a similar ilk at Washington, he's probably not going to get the same invite that a guy, let's say at uh, Tennessee or Ole Miss where Peyton and Eli were at, uh, they're going to get invites and the same will soon be said for Texas guys. So today's tough question focuses on Joe Milton as we'll get your answers from the message board. Uh, as well today, but what should his focus be, and what is a given? So bad, gener- uh, bad uh, journalism there, bad question asking, and that is double question. What's a given? What needs to be Joe Milton's focus moving forward? Caleb, what do you got? I think the obvious one for everybody is Joe Milton's got to get better with his deep ball accuracy. I think that's 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 the clear, clear, clear thing that, that doesn't matter what camp he goes to, he needs to work on. Um, but I think one of the biggest things he needs to work on that he could work out with the Manning Passing Academy, Passing Academy, is his clock management, his awareness. We know what happened two years ago against Ole Miss. That's that's a forgotten, very big blunder that had nothing to do with his deep ball accuracy. Well, can I stop and, you there for a second? Is that forgotten? I would say I don't. Oh, you're right. It may not be forgotten, but we 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 push it to a distant second behind the deep ball accuracy that we worry about with Joe Milton. And I think the Manning Passing Academy is one that could actually help him a little more. Funny enough, with the clock management and his awareness, we're not so sure yet just how great his awareness may or may not be. We saw him methodically move the ball down the field against Clemson, but I mean, I think Clemson was playing a base defense the whole game. Didn't really care to show anything didn't really care to be in that bowl game so that's still up for debate and so i think for joe milton understanding defensive i think something like the manning cat passing academy is more about understanding defensive schemes understanding clock management things like that his deep ball accuracy he's going to work on that that that's not going to be something that he's going to learn at the manning passing academy that's something he's actually probably going to learn from josh heupel more than he will there Right, and Josh Heupel specifically teaches, see, I would say footwork as a whole. I would say being lighter on his feet, but that's not going to happen at a passing academy, and it's not going to happen with Josh Heupel because he is not upset whatsoever as far as not having the best footwork or having limited footwork. He doesn't want them to be like David Cutcliffe where they're going for reads. That's why a lot of the times – that the reads are one side and people saying he's going to throw to his left or his right. So I would say footwork, but that's not going to happen in the passing academy. It's not going to happen under Josh Heupel. So I'm throwing that out the window. Now, the other thing that I would offer up to you as far as what Joe Milton needs to work on would be, yes, the deep ball passing ability, but I'm not concerned about that. And let me tell you why, because I thought the same thing about Hendon Hooker this time last year. And Hendon Hooker ended up being a very accurate quarterback downfield. So while that is a concern and should be a concern for Tennessee fans, should be a concern if he gets on point for the rest of the SEC and the SEC East, it is not number one to me. 
Number one is still the clock management. Now, I want to be real clear about that. You don't just jump out of bounds with the clock expired at the end of the game and be considered a guy that's going to be able to manage difficult situations perfectly from this point forward. I mean, Caleb, that is always a red mark and a black flag, whatever it is, red flag, black mark, whatever. And as you move forward, I would still have those questions based off that one play when he's headed to the NFL, Caleb. I mean, to me, that doesn't go away. Now, what is a given? This might surprise you, his leadership. From those that I talk to, his leadership is absolutely through the roof. Hendon Hooker is a a once-in-a-generational type of leader like an Al Wilson in a totally different way. But I don't expect Joe Milton to be that. But if if Hooker's a 10 on the leadership leadership scale, I do believe that Milton will be fine, a seven and a half or eight. And I've seen quarterbacks be as low as a six or so. So I, I don't have any concern about his leadership. Just want to see in the clutch clock management. And I think his accuracy on the deep ball will be better. So maybe I go a little off script, but I just I think Tennessee fans want to know that he can manage a tight game against Florida late and not make a boneheaded mistake. That's fair. Yeah, that's a huge deal. And and the leadership thing, we can't undersell in the sense of, Dave, you and I have watched quarterbacks, not just at Tennessee, but all over the country over the years. There were quarterbacks that were significantly worse than maybe their predecessor, but the teams played significantly better around them. I'm not talking T. Martin, Peyton Manning. It wasn't that. But I'm saying there are quarterbacks where you're like, well, why did the team play so much better with this quarterback than the previous quarterback? And it had everything to do with his leadership ability. So even if Joe Milton may not may have his issues at quarterback, you will still see, I think, the team play very hard in certain ways. I mean, my I know you're a fan, but that was a lot of criticism of Casey Clawson. It didn't seem like he rallied the troops all the time. Even if he was a clutch quarterback, they didn't always seem ready to rally to play hard for him all the time in certain moments. And right. Okay, so I see where you're going. I think we're I think that's oversimplifying it just a little bit that he didn't rally the troops. I think people did rally behind Casey the way they would rally behind a Joe Montana. I don't think Joe Montana was like a Terry Bradshaw or a Dan Marino that got in your face, but I think they rallied behind him. But I see your point on, on, on the scale of, of those two, I would be much more concerned about the clock management. I, I think that has that's the one, and it sounds like, Caleb, we're talking about the, the either leadership or clock management has just said, oh, it's the offseason, it's all going to be fine, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case, but I do think the leadership will be fine, not just because of what I saw at Clemson. As a matter of fact, that would be last on the list, but those that I talked to within Tennessee's football program think the leadership is is just fine from Joe Milton. So I'll take their word on it for sure. Yeah. And that actually, that's a big sign that you believe that he could probably fix his, the mental aspect of the game too, such as clock management. The players that I think of that I think, well, I, I think th- of that. Have- I, I don't that, see. That's the part I still have some concern about that to me, he's gotten kind of washed over. Well, okay. But going back through history, the players that I remember, I remember distinct moments in history where quarterbacks made bonehead decisions with clock management. And everyone I remembered, that quarterback had some of the lowest intangibles I could think of. The most notable one was Jamarcus Russell scrambling at halftime against Tennessee when the 2005 LSU game, when they could have kicked a field goal and he scrambled trying to go for a touchdown. Well, Jamarcus Russell had the worst intangibles in the history of intangibles in the history of quarterback play. Another one was Vince Young did it a couple of times with the Titans. Jake Locker did it. Everybody I'm naming had intangible issues. So I, I can't think well, of a guy. You know, I can't think, 
You know, the funny part, too, was at the Rose Bowl where Vince Young jaunts and runs for the touchdown that ends up winning the game. Had he gotten knocked out of bounds or tackled in the field of play, that could have been viewed as a, a very different play. I, I think that Joe Milton's going to be fine as a leader. I'm just going to go ahead and tell everybody that right now. Is he good in clutch? Don't tell me you know that because I don't know that and you don't know that. If I had to bet right now, if Caleb told me that accuracy at the end of the year will not be an issue and I'm not going to put some sort of number on it like completion percentage because that's just stupid. But if Caleb told me that at the end of the day, like Hooker, we say deep ball, throwing downfield was not an issue. That accuracy was not an issue. Then I'd say I believe you. I think that's doable. I think the leadership is done. The question I still have is the in-game manageability and the in-game and what he's doing in, in terms of leading a football team. Sorry, the one play at Ole Miss still stands out to me. I'm not hating on Joe Milton. I hope you know that, Caleb. Oh, yeah. that's Look, that's a red flag to make that type of mistake. Now, this, this is not going to make him look better, what I'm about to say, but my defense of him will actually make him look worse in terms of being a clutch quarterback. But you could say that he had way too many thoughts going through his head by being thrust into the position on the last drive after not starting all game and maybe just kind of panicked a little bit and just hadn't didn't feel prepared to for the moment to come back in the game. But yes, that's a huge red flag on its own if that was the case, because you don't want a quarterback who panics in the moment. Right. I mean, we can say all these things to make it feel slightly better, but that is right up there with the most boneheaded play in clutch time that we've seen in recent Tennessee football history. That's not overstating it at all, is it, right? No, no, not not at all. I mean, that's – it's not the most bonehead clutch play by Evolve. Do you remember Cedric Wilson? Actually, it might still might be, but do you remember Cedric Wilson in the NFL catching a pass for the 49ers, and all he has to do is go down, and they can get a game-winning field goal, but he fights for more yards, runs out the clock, and they go to overtime and lose? No, I don't remember that one. I remember Deshaun Jackson seemed like he did it in high school, college, and pro over and over. <laughs> he did. When he, yeah, when he dropped the ball before he crossed the goal line, that's important. It's brought to you by excuse me, it's brought to you by Andy Mason, Andy Mason Real Estate.com. Easy for me to say. <laughs> best service, best prices in the biz. Go to Andy Mason Real Estate.com to learn more. That is today's tough question. So at the end of the day. Milton at the Passing Academy, your biggest focus in the offseason by Joe Milton and what is a given is what, Caleb Calhoun? Because I'll tell you, my biggest focus, I believe that he should work on the transition between passing and running. Remember, Bryce Young wasn't great at that. I thought he held on to the ball too long early when he was a starter. So this is a natural progression. That transition, which I think cost him against Ole Miss, I think he was a little bit in flux as to whether he had crossed the line of scrimmage. And what is a given? I think his leadership and really close to that, his deep ball accuracy will be a given heading into the 2024 season. Today's tough question brought to you by Andy Mason, realestate.com. So where do you stand on that focus and given? I stand on him being able to read defenses for – from in the intermediate passing game i think he's good at it but i don't put a lot of stock into the clemson game and him being able to do that i will say it's an interesting thing you brought up about his kind of pocket awareness you're right bryce young had it and hendon hooker had it too last year last summer they, that was a concern for both of them 
and both were much better with their pocket presence last year. And I think if there's one thing Peyton Manning can teach, it's pocket presence because nobody had better pocket presence than he did. True, but the decision to take off and run, I don't know that that's something Peyton can teach because he didn't take off and run hardly at all. He threw it away. Yeah, but that's because he knew he couldn't take off and run. I bet if I, right. I bet if he could, he would he would know when to run better than anybody. If you put like Cam Newton speed and Peyton Manning in like in, in 2010, that's interesting. <laughs> so Peyton Manning's de- decision to chuck behind the line of scrimmage just to get the ball out of bounds and incomplete pass is the same thing as Mike Vick saying, "I'm going to tuck it and run for 30." It's kind of what you're saying. Yes, that's, although don't forget that split he, decision. Don't forget, though, that Peyton Manning, when he does run, is he is the greatest bootleg runner of all time. No one sells the play action better than Peyton Manning before a bootleg. I can name like seven times. All the, the Alabama one in 95 is the most famous. But he did it in the NFL once a year, it felt like. Where I, think he he did, the whole defense. I think he did it first at Tennessee against Vanderbilt, but he did do it in the NFL. You know the key to that? Don't tell your teammates. And he wouldn't yes. tell his teammates, and they would block the – Block the exact same way as if it was a running play. Uh, four downs now. <laughs> yes, four downs now brought to you by Craft Treats, CraftTreats.com. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. All right, Tennessee considered the fourth best team in the SEC. Is that too high or too low? Who's above them? We shall discuss. So fill it up on the message board right now. Other than Georgia, who should be ahead of Tennessee, given what we've seen in the past year of football? Be sure and like and subscribe. We appreciate that. It's brought to you by Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. They've got the chill pills with the Premium CBD benefits, full-spectrum CBD treats that will help with your dog's digestive issues. Also, arthritis, anxiety as well. It's pretty awesome. That is Craft Treats. Go to crafttreats.com. Use the promo code off the hook. Off the hook again, and you get 20% off. It is pretty easy, so check it out. That is four downs. It's brought to you by Craft Treats. So Tennessee, number nine in a recent uh, poll by this one's reputable. This is not some just goofball putting together a graphic and showing it on Twitter. This is college football news, and it's ranking what they believe will be the AP uh, top 25 preseason projection. So uh, let's go ahead and start out with a four downs and our guy, uh, Cooper Mays will take care of that. First, Cooper, what do people need to do if they like the channel? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Quick and to the point. That's easy. All right, Coop, what down? Coop here. First down. First down, Georgia number one in this college football news preseason ranking. Any argument with that? Give me give me a reason to go rogue on this, Caleb, because I'm having trouble. There is no reason. Georgia's going to be ranked number one in the preseason AP poll this year. Now, whether or not they should could actually be a debate because Michigan actually has an argument that they return a lot more talent than Georgia. I mean, are we are we to believe that Georgia can handle this amount of attrition two years in a row on top of all the discipline issues they've had this offseason? I mean, you can't convince me that's not going to come back to bite them. Well, it's a lot of attrition and will determine this year if they've got it rolling like Alabama did in the heyday with Nick Saban, 
right? This is the year for Georgia where you say not only are they like decade great, but they're generational great and they take over for Alabama. A lot of things could still come up, but uh, right now you have to look at it and think that, hey, they've got it rolling like that. But you're right. A lot of losses two years in a row. But we said that about Alabama in their heyday. And what would they do? They'd plug somebody right back in. Craft they never repeated. Well, that's true. Craft Treat says, Coop, what down? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Thank you. It is second down. All right. Second down, Alabama number three, too high, too low. I know you like Michigan. They're number two. So do you like Alabama at number three? I think the AP poll is going to put Alabama at number three, and they're going to be wrong. It's going to be too high. It's going to be way too high. Like, if I were actually projecting my end of the season, I'm not sure I got Alabama top 10 finishing the year. Wow. All right. So that leads me to third down, Coop. Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Notice he he adds a little bit to his title as we keep going. All right, Coop. So we've got LSU at six. That's three spots behind Alabama. I get the feeling you're not going to be happy with that, Caleb Calhoun. I actually am happy with it because I think that's where they'll come in to start the year. I think the AP poll will have them at six. I think the top five is so clear cut that you just can't argue with it. And then LSU would be the highest ranked team that you're not sure of after that. Me personally, I would have them in the top five, but I understand why they're number six because I think but, but you have to put, I mean, Georgia and Alabama are shoe wins and, and Ohio State, Michigan. Those are shoe wins for the top four. No one's going to debate those. And then USC had the Heisman winner, returns the Heisman winner, and probably did better in the transfer portal than, any, than anybody and has Lincoln Riley back for a second year. So no one's really going to debate them at number five either. So LSU is the first debatable team, and they're the highest of them, and I think that's how the AP poll sees it. Okay, so who's – let's go ahead and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So Tennessee's in at nine. Run those yes. down for me. Okay, so – Obviously, they project that Georgia will start the year number one, that Michigan starts the year number two, that Alabama starts the year number three, that Ohio State starts the year number four, that USC starts number five, that LSU starts number six. That And this is going to make my head explode, but they're right. I think the AP poll is going to put Florida State at number seven, the most overrated team in football this year. And, and then you've have, got who's ahead of Tennessee at nine? Uh, they got Penn State at number eight. And I do think Penn State will start the year ranked ahead of Tennessee. I think they finished last year close to Tennessee and they returned a little more talent and people seem to be higher on their quarterback than Tennessee's quarterback. Coop, what down? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. It is third down. LSU number six, too high, too low. Oh, LSU number six. Just right in terms of what the AP is going to do, but too low overall. They're a top five team. Um, I think it's just right on both, but I think they have the highest ceiling of all these teams. So I don't see them falling below six or seven at the end of the year, but I could see them be number one as well. Uh, I think it's Georgia, and we talked about this. Everybody else is on a lower tier. So, Coop, throw out some accolades. What down? All-SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. He is all-SEC center, at least he he will be for sure. He will be preseason. All right, so Tennessee is at number nine. Is that too high or too low? Okay, y'all hear me out. It should be too low, but it's too high. I don't think the AP poll is going to have Tennessee at the top ten to start the year. Do you, Dave? I think they're going to. I think they're going to. I think voters are going to be too skeptical of Joe Milton, and they're going to put him at eleven or twelve. Uh, the AP really likes Josh Heupel. 
the riders like Josh Heupel. So I could see them being nine or 10 in the AP poll and 11, 12, 13 needs to earn his stripes in the coaches poll. That, and that's based off, that's based off voting preferences. That's not based off where he should be. I believe that Georgia is in a tier all to themselves and everybody is looking up at them right now. Is Tennessee in that second tier? Let me ask you that question. Are they in the tier of, of essentially, I think the locks for the second tier, and you correct me if I'm wrong, and I think you and I will agree with that, the locks for the second tier, using my methodology, Georgia number one, that's tier one, okay? Everybody else is second tier. Again, my methodology. Second tier, I've got Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, LSU. And I'm not sure if I got Tennessee in that second tier or they're one of the top tiers, top teams on the third tier. Tier, tier, tier. I said I got the, I got them at a top team on the third tier. And the reason is nobody on this message board that is not a complete and total homer is seriously thinking that Tennessee is a legitimate national title contender this year. I mean, you and I would be beyond shocked if Tennessee won the national title, wouldn't we? You think I'm crazy for saying 2024, much less 2023. I would be very surprised, but it wouldn't take a lot. It would take Carson Beck not being able to get it done at Georgia. That's pretty much all it would take for me. If I see Carson yeah, but- Beck come out in the first four games and he's a big dud, then I think suddenly that second tier is open, and I've got Tennessee on the second tier, unlike you, of teams that need some breaks but can win a national championship. So maybe I'm a little bit more bully on Tennessee in 2023 than you. When I look at Georgia, they don't need breaks. They don't need to stay healthy. They could lose some dudes. All they need is Carson Beck to come in and be a competent or above competent quarterback. If that happens and they're golden, um, the rest of these teams need they need breaks, every single one of them. Okay, but okay, let's just throw out like, okay, you're watching a standard college football show and a group of, maybe it's this show, and a group of analysts are coming on and giving their national championship predict- predictions and They're picking somebody other than Georgia. You wouldn't be surprised if they picked Ohio State, Alabama, maybe Michigan, maybe USC. If they picked Tennessee, you would be like, what? Nobody is picking Tennessee on any television show. Here's the way I break down my tears. Georgia needs no help. Things could just break out in a normal season. Obviously, I'm not talking about a rash of like 15 injuries, which I've I've covered teams that that's happened. Okay, so we're on the same page. You're always gonna have, yeah, you're always gonna have two or three or four significant injuries through the season. So I'm talking about they don't need anything to happen except except to stay relatively healthy. The next tier to me is Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and LSU. They need a break to happen. The next tier, which Tennessee is number one, they need two things to happen. They need Carson Beck to not be a good quarterback at Georgia. They need things to go their way at Tuscaloosa. So those are two things significant that need to happen. My second tier is there is one significant thing that needs to happen, and we could break those down individually. We don't need to right now between Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, and Alabama. I think Tennessee needs a couple of breaks. I think those teams on the second tier need about one break, and they're good to go. So what you're saying is Tennessee needs a stumble and fumble, a Chris Winkie injury, and a Florida team that turns the ball over five times. They need two They need two of the three of those. They don't need three. Yeah. That's my fourth tier. They need <laughs> Those teams need a lot of help. 
It's like the South Carolinas of the world. I'm just kidding. Um, okay. So I think Tennessee is firmly in that third tier, knocking on the door of the fourth tier. And I could change everything if Joe Milton comes out and plays well against Florida. Then they're a second tier team. There's no question. But I think they got a little, uh, a lot of little things that need to bounce their no way. No stock in some, Virginia? What's that? No stock in Virginia? You're, you're saying Virginia won't tell us anything about Joe Milton? No, I've jumped past Virginia. And to some extent, I've jumped past, uh, who else is it? Austin P. And I know we should all be afraid of University of Texas San Antonio, but that's one of those I want to see it first. I mean, everybody's saying, oh, be afraid of UTSA. <laughs> Not UTSA, please. <laughs> uh, see, if uh, I did that, Dave would get so annoyed with my accent, with my uh, voice. Well, it's because your accent sounds weird. Mine sounds really good. All right, stay tuned. Uh, two minutes, and then there are a lot of SEC haters that I think have a pretty good point. The SEC can't get it done schedule-wise. Eight or nine team schedule that's going to be a permanent sec opponent i don't know and they don't either two minutes we break it down caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker off the hook sports and craving wings south north shore location where we've heard people say that you can get the best wings in east tennessee pero quien es este El número 87, Jacob Warren. I'll just do six for my sauce, 87, please. Imposible, señorita. Dale seis más. Look at these wings. Perfectas, deliciosas, fantásticas. Man, I don't know what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. How do you say fresh, never frozen in Spanish? Frescas, nunca congeladas. Make your way to Craven Wings and get you seis más. But what was funny about Kate is we were a full continuum of care at that time. We had detox. We had inpatient. We had outpatient. So we were doing a lot of the things that we do now. But now we just do them so much better. It's really a simple program. But it's, we're complicated people. I am what I am. And now i got to do something about it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasty's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasty's Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. A college football tradition like no other. Yes, sirree, boys and girls. Or the guy that just won't leave. Wow, that is sad. 
The Dave Hooker Show, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Back to Dave Hooker. Super excited to announce this partnership with Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee. Zen Sports brand is focused on focused on making sports better today and always. How about cash back rewards? A welcome bonus. You can earn 5% cash back on your bets for your first 15 days of betting on Zen Sports. The bonus is uncapped if you sign up. Uh, with the referral code, and we'll have that for you. Just capped at $250. If not, Cash Rewards Program is awesome. The refer- Referral Rewards Program, too. And they've got the easy-to-use sportsbook search and sort bets easily that you can set your favorite team's easiest experience possible when making it building parlays. Withdrawal within 24 hours. Deposit funds instantly. 247 customer re- support that's around the clock. No gimmicky promotional bets that look too good to be true, but rarely are. And they'll have peer-to-peer betting coming up soon. So download the app now. Download the app. We are excited to work with Zen Sports as the official gambling partner of offthehooksports.com. All right. So offthehooksports.com wants to take a look at SEC haters. SEC haters. So suddenly you have found some SEC haters and you're pointing towards a tweet by Nicole Arbach. I believe she is with the athletic Caleb. And what is the hate? Where is the hate coming from? Because it not only speaks to potential hate of the SEC, it also speaks to Caleb, in my opinion, the direction of college football and where it's going. And it's going to be vastly different. So what did Nicole Arbach to my, well, to my best knowledge, no relation to red Arbach, but what did she have to say concerning the sec and why it could be hate filled hatred speech? It is hate speech towards the sec and it is totally unjust. And now I say this as someone who said on this in this chair last week and lambasted Greg Sankey for not having his team together, if not having his guys together and lambasted the SEC for lack of competence and lambasted the way they're cheating the fans by not going to nine games. But she wrote an article suggesting that the college football playoff committee should put place more emphasis on strength of schedule. And, and then said the, the strength of schedule would be whether or not power five conferences play nine or eight conference games because they play one more power five team. That is dumb. Okay, I'm just going to say it. That's dumb. Fact of the matter is, most would you rather play a nine-game conference schedule in the Big Ten West or an eight-game conference schedule in the SEC? Or nine? Well, why, don't you just, why don't you just make it even more simple? Would you rather play a, a nine-game permanent setup in the ACC or an eight-game in the SEC East, West, or Big Ten East? I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? The ACC, yeah. wouldn't you rather, you'd rather play the permanent opponents there, correct? Yeah, exactly. You'd rather do the nine-game setup in the ACC because a lot of those teams are, one, it's lazy to, to just separate by Power 5 and non-Power 5 because then there's we should be separating by SEC and non-SEC because I'm just going to tell you guys this. The Pac-12 is a lot closer to a group of five conference than it is to the SEC. 
So the idea that the Pac-12 is better because they play nine games versus the SEC is a, is a ridiculous way to approach this, even if the SEC should play nine games. Okay. So to me, there are two different, completely different conversations going on. Whether you want eight or nine teams depends on what you think of the annual rivalries, correct? So if you have correct. nine, you're going to have your Georgia, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama forever, correct? Correct. And then – they throw in for some reason LSU Florida, which wasn't a rivalry and probably still isn't. It's a neat game to me because there's a lot of talent on the field. But those are the ones you want to keep. Here, but aside from that, if you add a significant opponent that is a non-conference opponent, you're still going to have a tough schedule with whatever the SEC and Big Ten lay out in front of you. For the most part, you're going to have years in which I think Tennessee has a good draw. You're going to have other years in which other teams in the Big Ten or SEC has a big draw. But I want to look at this philosophically, Caleb. Do you think the college football community is ready for a real, real championship contender to be 9-3 and three going into the playoffs? I'm not talking about somebody that slips in but a real contender, just like we've seen at the NFL. I remember the Giants when they got in as a wild card team and they had that underrated defensive line and that Eli Manning that ended up with a helmet toss but didn't make a lot of mistakes. Are you cool with a team like that having a realistic shot? That's what you have to ask yourself. Do you want your contenders going 12, 13 and 0 or 11, 12 and 1 or do you want your championship contenders to be flawed, have two or three significant losses on their schedule? I'll go ahead and tell you, I am fine with a ladder. I'd rather see the Austin Peas come off the schedule. No offense, Austin P. I would rather see those all be filled by significant opponents and a nine and three. You look back and you say, wow, that 2025 team from wherever went nine and two or nine and three and made a real run at the championship game and almost beat team X to make it. I'm fine with that. To me, that can define a, a successful season. It doesn't have to have a one or a zero after the win total. Yeah, I, I'm fine with the latter because that's the only feasible way to do this. Because quite honestly, even in the SEC, within the context of the SEC, 12 and 0 and 9 and 3 is not it, it could it's not going to look much better than 9 and 3 depending on the schedule you get. There's going to be a team that gets a draw one year where they're not playing LSU, they're not playing Alabama and they're not playing Georgia. And then they go 11 and 1. And then another team plays all three of those and goes 9 and 3. Are we really to believe the 11 and 1 team is better at that point? And so you have to do it this way because of the way they've set it up. I don't think the SEC champion to me philosophically is not going to be legitimate anymore because it's going to be totally based on the draw you get with your schedule. Well, I, okay. For next year, maybe, I don't know how they're going to split ties. That's a whole different conversation, but let's assume that it's going to be divisions down the road. So let's look at the big 10. Oh no, they're getting rid of them. Yeah. I mean, I think they are getting rid of them, but it, let's look at the big 10 with division still. Correct. No, they're getting rid of it next year when they do the, they, they're, they're doing the flex schedule. The, their okay. divisions are gone. So with the flex schedule, okay, which whichever the case may be, let's say Penn State loses a close game to Ohio State and Michigan. Then if that's a 12-team playoff year, let's say next year, 2025,
they've got every argument to be in there if the rest of their schedule is unblemished. Let's say Tennessee loses a that their permanent opponent is going to be. Let's just let's say it turns out where it's going to be Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Alabama. Let's say they lose a close one to Alabama. They slip up and they lose a game to Kentucky, and they're sitting there at ten and two, and they're not playing in the SEC championship game. That is a team that get ready for itself. You never thought I would say this. You lose to Kentucky, you still have a right to get in a 12-team playoff. That is the new standard for excellence. It's going to be winning nine or ten games or better and being right there knocking at the door. It's not going to be lose one game against Florida in September and the rest of the season is over, Caleb. That's, those days are over. Yeah, they're completely gone. And – Look, I'm not so sure that that's the part I don't love because that was the best part of the sport. I mean, if you go college football, it's the only sport. If you were to take a sport and rank the 50 greatest games in the history of that sport, college football is the only one where at least 90% of them would be regular season games. I mean, that Alabama-Auburn game of 2013 is the greatest game I ever witnessed, the kick six game. It was one of the most most exciting things I ever saw – and the way college football is going, that game's not, that game doesn't matter. The, the result of that is irrelevant because they were okay, going to what if, But what if that team like Auburn was knocking at the door to, to get in the playoff and and they beat Alabama and, and they're suddenly hosting, they're suddenly getting a bye, and Alabama is the one that maybe has to travel and doesn't have the bye. I still think that game means a whole lot i agree that it's not one game and you're out like the tennessee florida series in the 90s in september but it still means a lot i think you're too easily dismissing what a loss would mean to a championship resume i think it's borderline turning into unc duke in basketball which everybody loves that rivalry but then you're like oh they're both going to the tournament who cares and so well but no 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 but if you if on that last weekend in the ACC tournament, I know what you're talking about. If North Carolina loses to Duke, maybe they maybe they drop a seed. Maybe. But probably not. Their seed's pretty much set at that point. Yeah, and you and I both know the selection committee does all their work before the last week anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think Tennessee-Georgia is still a huge game, even if it's played in the last game of the regular season. I think it's still a monstrous game. I just think at the end of the day, you walk away from there and you think, oh, the loser can still slip into the playoffs and make some noise. I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, here's the other flaw. And this is a funny thing. So this came out. The Big Ten is at nine games with a select schedule. There are three Big Ten teams that could go undefeated next year. I forget exactly who they were, but theoretically, you could have three Big Ten teams go undefeated. With that, with the SEC at eight games in no divisions, It'll probably be like four or five SEC teams that could theoretically go undefeated next year. What happens when you do that? What happens when you have three undefeated SEC teams and two undefeated Big Ten teams? Who's well, the champion? Do they okay, share but, a conference championship? Okay, in all fairness, though, history is on my side. It, it, like, And I've thrown things out there just like that. What happens if everybody's undefeated? Typically, it doesn't happen. Teams stumble and... That ends up happening, but we do have that conversation in October. Like, well, what if Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama are all undefeated? Well, it doesn't usually shake out that way. In all fairness, I, I, I get your point, but it doesn't usually shake out that way. There was a year I distinctly remember. There's two years I remember. One was I know, the SEC. I know one. I know one that you're going to point to. Go ahead. 
the 03 SEC East three-way tie? Yes. Yes. Yes, that Georgia got the nod over. Which, I, honestly, if you look at schedule strength and toughness of divisional opponents, Georgia deserved the nod. Sorry, Tennessee fans, but Georgia did play a tougher West schedule than Tennessee played that year. They deserved the nod. And then the other one, though, that was big was Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas Tech had a three-way tie. All one loss beat each other in 2008 with the Big 12. Oklahoma got the nod. And, look, this is where the 12-team playoff helps because all three teams would get in a 12-team playoff at that point because you can't. It, there's no real effective way to determine the division winner. I am saying, though, there is theoretically a situation where this could happen. The year, two, the year Ohio State won the national title in 2002, we forget this, but they had to split the Big Ten title with Iowa that year because both teams went undefeated in Big Ten play and didn't play each other. <laughs> so they had to share the title. So I got two Daves in my head right now, which is scary in and of itself. And one Dave is the new Dave is beating down the old Dave. And the old Dave used to say that, yes, you had to go through and prove your dominance now. And you had to be able to tell everybody that, hey, this is uh, this is who we are. I'm this team. And and you also wanted a tough non-conference schedule like Miami coming in the house. You wanted those teams. You wanted Notre Dame. Well, here's what New Dave is telling that Dave. Why don't you shut the hell up? Okay, because New Dave's telling Old Dave the schedule is tough enough. You're going to get respect. Sorry to the the fans that actually buy the tickets. Sorry to the fans that pay for the parking pass. You don't matter anymore. Sounds awful, but it's true. Hey now. Because right now, if Tennessee has to play eight or nine difficult opponents or any other SEC or Big Ten team for that matter, that's enough. Don't care if it's eight or nine. Schedule Southern College. Schedule whoever you have to. Austin P. I know it sounds terrible for the walk-up fan, and I am sorry. I have been a guy on campus that loved the fact that Tennessee played a great schedule week in and week out, that loved the fact that you got to see Miami's when I was covering uh, Tennessee as a member of the media. Love to see all that. But as for now, New Dave is saying, You suck. Because I'm telling you, you don't need them. You win eight quality SEC teams. I don't care who the other four teams are. You can make them Carnes High School and beat the Mighty Jeruz. And if you beat the Mighty Jeruz and eight other SEC teams, you are still going to the college football playoff. So I'm sorry, walk-up fans that don't want to see Tennessee hammer some team by 50 points, but that's where college football is. It is right now. And those are the games you should schedule. Don't schedule the difficult games anymore and make the college football playoff. Sorry, New Dave just destroyed Old Dave in an old-fashioned brawl on Cumberland Avenue. That Old Dave didn't win a lot anyway, so good job, New Dave. Dave, I will tell you this. It's funny you say that because a lot of college football fans try to hold two thoughts in their minds. And what they don't realize is the two thoughts they hold are directly contradictory. One thought they have is they want to support the smaller schools. You know, they'll be like, look at the group of five or division two. It's not division one, but it's good football and we should enjoy it. And then at the same time, they'll say all the power five teams should play each other. And it's like, well, wait a minute. The only reason these smaller schools exist it's because Tennessee writes a giant check for them to come to Nayland Stadium once a year so they can go there and lose by 50. And that funds their whole athletic department. 
<laughs> you know, you won't have smaller schools that kids could go play football at unless you have these bigger schools allowing them to come to their stadium, paying them the money, and letting them lose by 50. Okay, so Tom says rewarding mediocrity. No, I don't think that's the case. I think an eight or nine, whatever the whatever it shakes out to be in 2025, 2026, that's difficult enough. I actually think that you're asking too much of a college athlete that he should have to play. What are we looking at? We're, we're looking at 12 regular season games right now. Correct, Caleb? Correct. So 12 times four is 48 difficult quarters. You shouldn't ask a college athlete to play 48 difficult quarters. If you add four so-so teams that you might have to go out there and play the first drive of the second half, then that lops off two, four, six, eight, then you're asking for 40 difficult quarters. I'm going to push back, though. Okay, let me just finish with this point. I think you should have games that you go out there and you take care of business in the first quarter and the second quarter, and then you don't even know where your helmet is in the second quarter or the third half, second half, third quarter, because they have taken it away from you because your services are no longer needed. That's where I think they should be. There is one giant flaw with this though. And it's something that applies to Tennessee and it's why they actually need to schedule at least one big name out of conference team every year for home and home. I'm fine with one, but that no more. Okay. But the reason they might have to do this is the reason it might apply to them is when you go to the three, six format, which I, I still think they inevitably will. They couldn't figure it out this year, but they're going to go to that format. And describe for those that don't know what the 3-6 is. Three permanent opponents every year, home, 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 and then the other six rotating. So a four-year player would go to every school at least once and host every school once, and then three permanent opponents, they play at home twice and on the road twice. Those two road games that you play permanent matter, and here's what I mean for this. Tennessee's three opponents are going to be Vanderbilt, South Carolina and Alabama or Vanderbilt, Kentucky and Alabama. I'm sorry, Dave. That's a really big recruiting disadvantage that they can't go to Georgia every other year, that they can't go to Florida every other year, that they can't go to Louisiana every other year, and that they can't go to Texas every other year. They need another, I mean, schedule Florida state home and home. They got to get into those States more than just once every four years. I got I understand that from a recruiting perspective, but I'm sticking to schedule. Eight's tough enough. You do not need to schedule two or three other quality opponents. I'm sorry, walk-up fan. No, you're right about that. And and that's what made me so angry about this article was it's, okay, if you're playing eight conference games and your conference games are LSU, Alabama, and Georgia, I'm... And you're going to honestly tell me with a straight face that's easier than a Pac-12 team that plays nine conference games because they have to play Washington State as their ninth conference game? Like, that's ridiculous. And I'm, I'm sorry. It's it's insane when people get mad about the eight. Look, I won in nine games. Dave, you won in nine games. I thought it was better for everybody if we got nine games. But the idea that the SEC is somehow easier than other conferences because they're playing eight games is laughably not true. And it just it, – it kills all integrity, and it's also lazy because it's making – people are making this assumption that all Power 5 conferences are one tier and then all Group of 5 conferences are one tier, as if the Pac-12 and the SEC are the same tier. Okay, first of all, we just have like 
six group of five teams join power five teams in the big 12 and the pac 12 this year. So how are we to believe that those teams are, those conferences are the same tier as the sec? They're not, or, or the big 10 for that matter. I'm not trying to be an sec homer. They're not in the same tier as the big 10 either. Yep. I'm with you. Let's do some talking. Cruton talking. Cruton is brought to you by our friends at Vassy lawn and garden man alive. It's worth the drive and trouble at the university of Florida's Tennessee had some visitors in over the weekend, but no major news shakeup when it comes to the University of Tennessee. But good news for Tennessee and other SEC opponents, as Florida has is having more issues. We're only four months removed from them having the most embarrassing NIL issue that cropped up when Jaden Rashada showed up to campus. And, hey, my cash isn't here. That's a problem. So I'm going to go somewhere else. Jaden Rashada, the quarterback who was promised uh, – millions of dollars to be a gator and then their collective is run essentially by uh, a group of dudes that you just picked up at the local pool hall and their nil didn't have money to uh, to pay him when he got there so he was able to cruise on out and now florida is having more issues in terms of recruiting what's the latest caleb calhoun because it ain't a good look at all yeah, over the weekend, four-star running back from North Palm Beach, Florida. So right out of Florida's backyard, flipped his commitment from Florida to Georgia. And Florida's 2024 recruiting class has now dropped to number 22, which, Dave, as you know, number 22 in the SEC. Number 22 nationally is not good in the SEC. That's like near the bottom. That's, it's probably 10th or 12th if you want to include Texas and Oklahoma and really take a look at those. I know they're not in the – class until next year but that's who you're recruiting against right now so in in recruiting how much is it georgia and the field right now is i mean right now? at what point yes at what point does a team top georgia in recruiting rankings because i don't think it's anytime soon tennessee i don't believe needs to recruit at that type of level a la steve spurrier and and the Florida's football team with the Gators in the 90s. I don't think they had to be number one because coaching offset that. I don't think Florida right now currently is in any position to overtake Georgia in recruiting. Caleb, help me here. At what point is there going to be a team that tops Georgia in recruiting in the SEC East? Yeah, you give me me Georgia and the field in the SEC East – For the next three years, next five years, are you taking anybody in the field over Georgia in the SEC East for the next three to five years? No, Georgia's going to clean house recruiting in the SEC East for the next five years. I mean, I know there won't be any East after this year, but still, the teams that are in it now, they're going to clean house. And when it comes to facing Tennessee, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, they should clean house. Georgia's the best recruiting state outside of Louisiana for where, I mean, George is the best recruiting job outside of LSU because they are the one of two power five programs and arguably the best football state. But it's a problem here. It's scary when they're out recruiting Florida for Florida kids now. And I mean, yes. that's, that is a really scary thought. And by the way, Florida's in trouble. They let a kid from their backyard, not flip to Miami or Florida state, but flip, decide to flip to go up north to Georgia. And North Palm Beach ain't on the Florida-Georgia line. That's South Florida, isn't it? That's close to South Florida. And so 
that's a big, big loss for them. They're in big trouble. No, you got an issue now if you're at, at Florida because I don't think you have an offensive mind in Billy Napier that can overcome a talent deficit. I think if, if you're Tennessee, you're not as nearly as concerned because you have a coach that I believe is an offensive guru. So I think that is a real concern. I think the concern that the teams that should be concerned are South Carolina, South Carolina and Florida when we talk about Georgia's dominance, because they don't have coaches in place. No offense, Shane Beamer. Uh, Shane Beamer has to hustle it up on the recruiting trail. Florida has to hustle it up on the recruiting trail because I don't believe they have a coaching advantage over the University of Georgia. Now, people are going to tell me that, hey, Dave, you're crazy. Georgia just hammered Tennessee. Yes, Georgia hammered Tennessee because they have solid, solid coaching and they have better talent. Tennessee, though, uh, Caleb, they don't have to have better talent than Georgia. They have to have comparable talent. And right now that gap is closing slightly, not a lot. We all saw what happened in the NFL draft. But at least Tennessee can point to Josh Heupel and say this guy can close the gap. If you're a Florida fan and you're pointed to Billy Napier, you don't have any confidence that he can close the talent gap on the field do you no not at all and and the best the best comparison that's a great point the best comparison is in the 90s florida state was always more talented than florida when those two teams lined up on the field always more talented but florida got their wins in there plenty of times because spurrier could out scheme bobby belton tennessee was more talented than florida by the way during those years and spurrier owned tennessee so Tennessee can be that team, Josh Heibel. You're right. Get com- get comparable enough. That doesn't mean they're going to beat Georgia most of the time. Lucky for Tennessee, no matter what happens, they're not going to be playing Georgia annually after this year. And but beat them enough where look, they get to a certain level where, like you said, you can out scheme them. Florida's in trouble. South Carolina's in trouble. And Florida's in big trouble. And I don't know what Florida was thinking hiring Billy Napier because, again, Florida is not the easiest recruiting job because you already have to compete with Florida State and Miami for those kids. And- well, yeah, but he was thought of thought of as just the greatest lock hire in the history of man at SEC Media Days this time ago last year. And everybody's making this mistake because he they're saying that because he did so well with Louis- the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. For those who don't know Group of Five football. When you're, I, I I know I sound like a Louisiana homer, but when you're coaching football at that level in Louisiana, you're the only coach who just needs gas money to get talent to more talent than everybody else. Literally, you need gas money. That's it. And so, I mean, yeah. It, and Louisiana kids want to stay in Louisiana. So if LSU doesn't take them, it's more of an even fight than you might think when it comes to the raging Cajuns versus the Tennessee Volunteers or the Kentucky Wildcats or the Florida Gators. I know that you could say that's an opportunity to play in the at the SEC, and it's true. But the simple fact is, Caleb, a lot of these guys want to stay in Louisiana. So the Cajuns are looking damn darn good <laughs> compared to – they're looking darn good compared to other SEC schools. So that that seems foreign to a lot of fans and a lot of the people we talk to, but a lot of these guys want to stay – in the SEC, Smoky Hot takes coming up, and that is, what's the best team that Tennessee's ever beaten as far as an upset? First, 
It was uh, today's tough question. What do you want college football to be? Today's tough question is brought to you by our friends at Zen Sports. And we are so excited to be associated with Zen Sports. They're going to change the game when it comes to gambling apps in the state of Tennessee. So today's tough question, what do you want college football to be? Are you okay with nine and two, or I'm sorry, I should say nine and three, 10 and two making the college football playoff, or should teams still run the table in order to compete for a national championship. Let me ask you that. It's brought to you by Zen Sports, Caleb. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, so are you cool with, sorry, I ended that. Are you cool with nine and two, ten, uh, nine and three, ten and two being competitive for a national championship or should teams have to run the entire table and get to that 12 and one 13 and 0 type of look. What do you think, uh, Caleb Calhoun? I'm fine with a team having a couple of slip ups along the way and being one of those teams that compete for a national title. Are you good with that or no? I'm good with it. I'm not. Okay. On a macro scale, I'm not good with it because I think the sport was more entertaining the way it was, but I'm good with it given where it's going because I know that's the only theoretical way you can do this. There's no feasible way to not let a 9-3 and three team have a shot given the way the scheduling is going to be so different in two years. So, yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah, this doesn't ever need to be college basketball where you could be 20-12, and 12, which is you're losing a third of your games or more. It doesn't need to be that. But it can certainly be where you lose one or two games, maybe even two or three games, and still be a team that is competing for a national championship. So I I am completely fine with that. Today's tough question brought to you in part by Zen Sports. They've got the cashback rewards. 5% cashback on your bets for the first 15 days. When you bet on Zen Sports, that can be uncapped. We're going to have an off-the-hook promo code that makes it – how about even better? And uh, the bonus is ca- uncapped if you sign up for a referral code and cap at $250 if you do not. So we'll have an uncapped code coming up. Cash rewards program, earn up to 3% of your betting volume back as a cash deposit to your account every month. Happens every month on the first of every month. And they've got the referral re- rewards program earn 3% of your referrals betting volume as rewards. Easy to use sports book, and you can set it up so you see your favorite teams like the Balls or the Titans, and they've got the easiest experience possible when making building parlays. You withdraw within 24 hours. That's pretty awesome. Deposit funds instantly, 247, 24-7 customer support, easy to track rewards, no gimmicky promotional bets that look too good to be true, but rarely are, and peer-to-peer gambling coming up soon. So Georgia versus the field in recruiting for the next five years. You would take who, Caleb Calhoun? I would take, is this the field of just current SEC East teams? I'm taking the field. Yes. The field. I'm taking the field. I mean, I'm sorry, Georgia. Excuse me. I'm taking Georgia. Georgia, not even questioning it. Yep. Georgia versus the rest of – Go ahead. Georgia versus the field of the SEC. 
I'm taking the field of the SEC because I think I, I still don't think Alabama's done. I think they just went on a tear last class and they're about to go on a tear in this class. Um, but just SEC East. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking Georgia versus just the SEC East, and they're going to wipe the floor. And by the way, again, they should. It's Georgia. It's the best recruiting ground in the SEC East. Yeah, and I don't think it's a bad thing for Tennessee at all. I think it's scary for Florida because they should be beating Georgia in recruiting fairly regularly if they're uh, going in a good direction. I think it's scary for South Carolina because I don't know that they have, and they, they may prove to have that, but they don't have right now a great offensive approach. They have a good offensive approach. Caleb, I think for Tennessee, you look at this and you say, hey, eh, well, you know, Georgia may beat Tennessee in recruiting, but you have a better offensive approach in place. So I think that's okay. If we're having this conversation and Georgia's number one in recruiting two years from now and Tennessee's pushing at top five, I think that's fine. I got I got no issue with that. We're going to take a quick two minutes and coming up, Smoky Hot Takes, best coaching performances in recent memory. And I got one that I think is pretty easy because of how darn good they were. Uh, and that was a team that Tennessee went on the road and beat, but then came back to Neyland Stadium, and it was a slow bludgeoning for 60 minutes. So we'll discuss that team. But, man, one down in South Florida that should not be overlooked as one of the great coaching performances in recent memory, Smoky Hot Takes, right around the corner, and that will be brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. Give me two minutes and we'll break down some of the greatest coaching performances in Tennessee football history with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Two minutes off the Oak Sports. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. 
When you want a hard cider that's easy to enjoy, one that's crafted to perfection, you need Tennessee Cider Company. Some say it's the signature cider of the South. Others say it's the cure to your craving. They all say you'll savor every sip. With a selection of ciders free to sample, all it takes is one taste. Visit TNCiderCompany.com for more information, as well as to shop our ciders and merchandise online. Thirsty yet? Doors open at 10 a.m. Uh, who's this guy? Hello, Wizard! The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Welcome back. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We're going to have the big bet of the week brought to you by zensports.com, or I should say the big bet of the day. I'd have to do with some Tennessee baseball, and that'll be brought to you by Zen Sports. Again, Zen Sports, our new partner. We're so excited to work with them, and we've got some peer-to-peer betting, which That'll be coming up a little bit later in the calendar year. Caleb had to figure that out and just explain that to me because he's way hipper and younger and smarter than me. But the peer-to-peer betting, we're going to be able to set up bets, which is super, super cool. And we're going to be able to set up bets such as, does Tennessee win the East? What odds? And then Zen Sports, they're going to be able to give us the odds. We'll present them to you. And then we have peer-to-peer bets, which is super cool. What more can you tell me about peer-to-peer bets, Caleb Calhoun? Because uh, it's taken over the nation. It's pretty darn cool. So, uh, for instance, we could say you have this bet at plus 150. Do you want to take Tennessee's side or not? So we've got a lot of cool things we're going to be able to offer out there, Caleb. And it is brought to you by Zen Sports. So I'm excited to see what sort of peer-to-peer bets we have coming up in the very near future. But first, I can tell you that nobody is going to be more user-friendly when it comes to apps at, than Zen Sports. Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, focused on making sports better in betting every single today, today, and always. With the cashback rewards, they have 5% cashback on your bets for the first 15 days of betting at in sports pretty awesome easy to use sports book they have the search and sort bets easily uh they can you can set your favorite teams easiest experience possible when making and building parlays uh, withdraw from 247 uh, i'm sorry re- withdraw from the sports book 24 hours 24 7 customer service support and they are awesome easy to track rewards check it out and they've got the peer-to-peer coming soon so what's the best peer-to-peer bet you've ever heard Caleb what have we got peer-to-peer oh the best peer threw me all threw me for one the best peer-to-peer bet I've ever heard yes and so for the right I guess we should explain this guys peer-to-peer bets is where two parties agree on odds with each other you don't have to worry about odds makers or bookmakers but with us Zen Sports will set the odds, but you can do bets with your friends now. You don't have to do bets against the sports books. So right. we're we're gonna have some fun things going with that. Best peer to peer bet I have I ever 
I've never done a peer to peer bet, so I can't really say the best one I've ever heard of, quite yeah. honestly. Yet, this is we'll, a new thing, and yep. I'm really excited well, about it. Yep, I am too. It's going to be fun. We get we go then to Zen Sports and we say, Here, we've got this bet. What do you think? They'll give us odds, so we'll come back. That'll be later in the season, but right now. Download their new sports book, and it's going to be awesome. The app is unbelievable. So check it out. Uh, again, uh, our new partner, we're excited to tell you all about Zen Sports each and every day. It's pretty cool. So here's an over-under. Uh, I don't know. Can we get this uh, approved? Maybe. Uh, Joe Milton over-under 45 touchdown passes. Travis, you don't want to set that. You'll lose. I'm gonna. I'll take the under in a heartbeat on that. There's no way Joe Milton's throwing 45 touchdown passes this year. I'm just gonna say that straight up. Okay, what did Hendon Hooker have last year? He had like 30 something, and I think Tennessee is going to be a bit more ball control this year than they were last year. Quite honestly. Okay, what about including? All right, give me this then, as we toy around with the first possible. Zen Sports peer-to-peer, but go ahead and download the app now, and the return that you get is through the roof, and also you get cash back. So what if it were 45 touchdowns total rushing as well? Does that make it difficult for you? It does, because I think Tennessee is going to – I think you're going to see – Last year, you saw under goal line stands, they you know gave the ball to Princeton fan. I think you might see just a lot of Tim Tebow style direct quarterback draws on the goal line this year because I think Milton's so strong. I think that's something he could pull off a lot more. Hendon Hooker, yeah. for context, had 32 total touchdowns last year, though. So that's still still climbing a ladder to get the 45, man. Okay, so if I put the over under, and we might do this with Zen Sports. If I put the over under at 29 and a half total touchdowns, what are you taking? Take the over. Take the over at 29 and a half. Is that a good number? If I, if I, that's a really good number. That's a really good number. Okay. If I goosed it by 30 and a half, does that change your, your perspective? No, I'll still take the over. I mean, Hendon Hooker had over 30 both years and didn't play a full season. We expect Joe Milton to play a full season this year. So I'll take the over. Getting closer to that 45. No, we're, we're not. We're inching our way there. You've got a whole, like, we're only two-thirds of the way there. That's like, we're like, no, we're not close to 45. Okay. I would take, if you gave me right now, I would actually take it to the bank, and I don't gamble. But when I do, I feel really good about it. I would take the 29 and a half easy, the over at 30. Easy with Joe Milton. Easy. I, all right. Okay. I, I think you're getting you're getting real hype on this. I mean, you're getting hype on hypo, but you know, getting a little bit too offense. bold. Just a little bit. I'm not sure any. I mean, look, I, I don't. I, I think it's going to happen. I, I don't know if I can go easy though. But I, I mean, I will say that your bet your your best example of this, I will say, is Drew Locke under Josh Heupel did throw for 44 touchdowns in 2017 at Missouri. So thank you. I appreciate that. Smoky hot takes brought to you today by Bassey lawn and garden man alive. It's worth the drive. So a look back. Smoky hot takes greatest coaching performances in Tennessee football history. I know what it is and I think it's pretty easy, but 
uh, let me get you to throw out some possibilities there. Mine has to do with a a certain orange bowl, but not an orange bowl game. What do you think about that? That's a good one. So I got a few. Um, Johnny Majors basically going with the vertical receiver routes and just throwing it, introducing it during the 1982 Alabama game, introducing that concept, and that's how Tennessee upsets Alabama, changing the SEC. 1985, Johnny Majors, Miami. Fulmer, 98, Florida. I know there was a lot of luck, but they played that very well with T. Martin. 01, Florida. 04, Georgia. Heupel, 2022, Alabama. I left out one because I know you're going here, but I haven't given my best one yet. I'm saving that. So I'll go with yours first, though. Okay. So I'm excluding a couple for different reasons. I thought 98, Florida – I don't think that was as much about best coaching performances as it was about better team. And I thought Florida made some mistakes in 98 Florida, 85 Miami. I want to go back. I think that was a Jimmy Johnson team that was way too cocky majors, 82 out of Alabama. That's awesome. But a little bit before my time, and I know it's before your time, but college, uh, Caleb is super college football historian. So, I'll depend on you for that one, but it is before my time. Um, 03 Miami to me is by far the greatest coaching performance in Tennessee football history. That team was absolutely loaded. And the next year, what they came back to uh, Tennessee and just just hammered, it was one of No, it was a reverse. They hammered Tennessee and Nayland first, and then Tennessee came back to Miami the year after. You're right. My apologies. And you, it was one of those games that was what it ended up being about 20 points as a difference, but you felt like it could be a hundred if Miami wanted it to be and to be able to beat Miami down there. And you had the crazy end around with, was it Derek Tinsley? I believe. Derek Tinsley, yep. Um, that was the best coaching performance I've ever ten- seen Tennessee put together period end of discussion. They beat a way better team in Miami with a hostile crowd. Um, you know, you've got on the list 04 Georgia. Tell me why. Well, 04 Georgia had a bit of oh, – that was two freshman quarterbacks, Eric Gaines and Brent Schaefer. Tennessee had lost by 30 to Auburn the week before, I believe. They were going on the road to play Georgia. They had oh, Georgia was on a four-game winning streak at the time was a double-digit favorite to win that game. This was David Green's senior year. This was going to be the year Georgia gets over the hump and wins the national title, finally under Mark Rick. And Tennessee just marches in and beats them 19-14 to in a I mean, kind of a slugfest, but a very well-played game by Eric Gage, who basically who started the whole game pretty much. And that was his first road game. And, I mean, I, that was a great game by Fulmer. But I actually agree with you. The 0-3 Miami was better. And what stood, stood out to me with 0-3 Miami was – the total lack of respect John Chavis had for Brock Berlin's decision making. <laughs> that, that was the that was the funniest thing. Like I or, will never forget that. Or Steve Spurrier's willingness to make it a running football game, right? Oh, I was talking about no, I'm talking about the Miami game. Oh, oh the Miami game. Okay. Um sorry, I thought you were you went back to 01 Florida. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the, no, the hit because remember Berlin had transferred to Miami and started against Tennessee in 03. Right. And John Chavis dialed up blitz packages that any quarterback that was a halfway good decision maker could have had a touchdown pass out of. I will never forget Miami's down 10 to 6. They're driving, and John Chavis sends Mark Jones bare on a blitz and hits Brock Berlin 
and ball pops in the air. Jabril Wilson intercepts it. I mean, if Brock Berlin, Kella Winslow, a, a man of great character, obviously, was wide open on the other side of the field because he dialed up that blitz. But Chavis was very convinced that Berlin would not be smart enough to see Winslow for a touchdown. And I give Chavis a ton of – he knew when to dial up blitzes that game and when to force the turnovers. And Tennessee basically played that game knowing that Miami is the most undisciplined team in football. So they were saying, we're going to play extremely conservative and just let Miami implode. And by golly, now, they did. I think a play that still to this day sticks out to me, this is how talented Miami was. They took all of their great receivers, and they were great and they lined them up on the left side of the field in the last play of the first half, and they threw a Hail Mary to Kellen Winslow. And Kellen Winslow almost pulled that in. I believe it was over Antoine Stewart. No, it was over Jason Allen. It was over Jason Allen. I thought Jason Allen was lined up on the other side. I remember Jason Allen knocking it away, though. Okay, but – Winslow almost went over and caught the ball, and that would have been like the craziest Hail Mary because you didn't throw it to the group of dudes on one side. You threw it to a tight end on the other side. So whoever broke it up, whether or not it was Jason Allen or Antoine Stewart, it was all they could do to break it up. That team was absolutely loaded, and I thought that just the willingness to throw it to a tight end all by himself on one side told you how loaded they were. That was the greatest coaching performance in my mind, especially in an underdog role that Philip Fulmer had. Um, They didn't have any business being on the field with that Miami football team. No, they didn't. They didn't. And they had barely, remember they had a really ugly win against Duke the week before and everybody was in Kelly Winslow Miami had just choked away a game to Virginia Tech, and Keller Winslow says we're ticked off. It's unfortunate for them. And, I mean, they it was. I would never forget Clawson in an interview before the game because Casey Clawson had the worst stat line for a winning quarterback I think I've ever seen. It was like 11 of 18 for 81 yards. But in an interview before the game, he said, they were like, what do you need to do to win? He's like, the next thing we got to do is just not make mistakes. Basically saying we know Miami is going to implode because they were so undisciplined that year. And I would never forget Vince Wolford reaching out to sack Casey Clawson and accidentally grabbing his face mask and bringing him down. Remember that play, Dave? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and, Will, <laughs> and it was an easy sack, honestly. And Wilford just reached out and grabbed his face mask and gave Tennessee a 15-yarder. There was the roughing the punter. Sean Taylor, rest in peace, trying to field that amazing punt by Dustin Colquitt. I don't know why he tried to field that punt. Just let it bounce out of bounds. That went in the one. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, that, that, that to me was – one of the most surprising games as far as an outcome for Tennessee or against Tennessee that I've, I've ever seen. And I was stunned that they absolutely won that game and were able to pull it off. Um, and I, I thought it was in a lot of ways because of what happened two years later in 2005, I thought it was kind of one of Philip Fulmer's last great hurrahs and one of his greatest hurrahs as a coach, period. I mean, Philip Fulmer, let's basic, was was basically a coach that beat the teams, for the most part, Tennessee was supposed to beat and would surprise you every once in a while. That was one of those really incredible surprises, right? Absolutely. Question that came to my mind, though. What if the, there's one, I think, of Fulmer's that competes. His The game that made him a household name and, all, and forced Johnny Matrix out. Not Florida in 92, because Florida, that was a, that was because of the crazy monsoon that happened. We all know that. But 
the week before that Georgia game, Heath Shuler's breakout game when Tennessee beat Georgia on the road 34 to 31. That was former just because <clears throat> Ray Golf, I mean, Georgia was better. They just had Ray Golf as coach. And Philip Fulmer willed Tennessee to go win with his coaching in that game, didn't he? Um yeah, I mean that that has to rank right up there, the the Heath Schuler game. The, the the other you know the one that I wouldn't have said before the Celebrate ninety eight series is you and I've talked about it, I think, off the air is what Philip Fulmer did before the national championship game. Now Tennessee was, I believe, ten points better than Florida State, correct? Um Yes. I I, I don't think that was close. I think Florida State was actually the favorite, but they shouldn't have been. And I think that Philip Fulmer didn't get credit enough for leading up to that game, how he didn't have any of his players talk to Florida State's players in the bowl festivities they have before until the last night. And he said, gag orders off, talk all you want. And Tennessee scared Florida State on that night, that last bowl event, (laughs) which was essentially two nights before the game, the Thursday before the game. They had a, it was a, some waterworks thing. Uh, so, and then Philip Fulmer told a joke at halftime of the national championship game because he thought his team was tight. So, even though that was a better team that I believe they played, Philip Fulmer, what I've learned from the Celebrate 98 series, deserves a little bit more credit for that coaching acumen that he showed off uh, in the national championship game. I thought it was pretty smart not to have his guys talk to the last night. Oh, that was that's a yes, I agree. I don't know if that's I, I don't know if I consider that a coaching job from an X's and O's perspective, though. That was just amazing gamesmanship, amazing gamesmanship yeah. that he showed. Um, yeah, Dave's gonna whatever, lose whatever it. you call it, it, it's that you know, yeah, Dave, you're gonna lose your mind on this, your head's gonna explode when I say this. But up until the 13 men on the field play against LSU, up until that play, there were just 13, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah, it was just 13. If Tennessee beats LSU, that Derek Dooley coaching game would have been one of the best coaching games you ever saw, given oh, how outmatched Tennessee was in that game. I agree. And then the James Banks Tennessee Georgia game, what year was that? 02 Georgia. Yeah. That was, that was a loss, but it should be up there. They shouldn't have been on the field with them. Yep. They shouldn't have. That's a I good agree. One. Derek Dooley is a, a very, I mean, you have to give him credit. They shouldn't have been on the field with LSU. That would have changed the direction because that that's the type of win on the road that gives you another year in and of itself. And Les Miles would have been fired the next week, by the way. That that saved Les Miles' job, I think. I think he would have been fired the next week. And I mean, he was Les, Les Miles was the prime example of a coach winning a national championship. And you're like, how does that guy have a national championship read? <laughs> Smoky Hot Takes brought to you in part by Bassy Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive right there in Cleveland, Toro, count on it. And City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. Integrity matters. With that unit, you might need a not, might not need a whole new unit. City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. And we thank our friends Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and on. I don't have any issues with my vision because of Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han. They're awesome. It is Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han. They did my LASIK. They should do yours. Fantastic program today. A lot of fun. A lot of different topics. It's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We broadcast live each and every weekday at 10 a.m. So uh, check us out. Hit that like button and subscribe. You haven't done that. What are you thinking? He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.